Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Football Tactics podcast. I'm your host Neil Shelat and as always I'm delighted to say I have been joined by Alex Parker. Up for this one Alex? Oh absolutely my friend, absolutely. It should be exciting and of course we've got Varun Vasudevan. How are you Varun? I'm good, excited for this one because I have a feeling I'm going to be taking a bit of a back seat and letting you to uh, take the reins on this one. You know, you know, there's that meme where there's like two girls fighting on a beach, um, and then there's that guy in the background who's like, I, I, I don't remember what he's doing, but he's he's looking on very intensely. I think that's what Varun is going to be in exactly. this episode. Great entertainment for you, but yeah, you know what? For this one, we decided I'm gonna take a bit of a backseat as well. I'll hand it over to Alex, who will introduce the topic and just dictate the general flow of things, because this is. Uh, a topic really close to his heart, is it not, Alex? Yeah, it's close to the dark side of my heart. It's Peter Bosch, the man, the myth, the legend, and his PSV side. Who, uh, you know, the facts, the facts are facts. They've gone into the Champions League knockout stages. They're top of the Eredivisie. He's got an eighty percent win percentage, which would be one of the highest I imagine in Europe. He's having an incredible season, which is a big change to his last few years, which have led him to become one of my most hated managers ever. Uh, so much so, those facts about PSG are pretty much the only ones I can name off the top of my head because I've blacklisted him from games I watched due to what he did, not super badly at Bayer Leverkusen, but how, in my opinion, and Neil's going to be quiet here, he's not allowed to come back to this, in my opinion, he was the catalyst for Leon going from European contenders to relegation fodder. Uh, Peter Bosch, you know, he's got a black spot in my brain. He's done a lot of damage to the world of football, and I think his tactics are horrific. So what Neil and Varun are going to do today are try and convince me that I'm wrong and uh, show me why PSV are doing so well if he's turned any corners or the Eredivisie's just a bit naff and uh, PSV are able to play the way Bosch plays because no one can beat them. So I, I think I've given a pretty solid background to him. I mean, I'll just quickly floss over it as well, in case if you really are unaware. He is the same guy who was at Borussia Dortmund. He's also the same guy, I believe, who took Ajax to the Europa League final against Manchester United. Look at that. That is when he really rose to prominence. Um, yeah, and then he went to Dortmund. Uh, quite sadly, didn't do particularly well. Ha. Um, he won eight games in 24 with a 30% win percentage. Then he went to Bayer Leverkusen from 2018 to 2021. Uh, decent few years there, but he was sacked, sadly, before the end of the season. And as I said, he went to Lyon in May 2021 and he was sacked about two months into his second season. Uh, that, that Those years involved uh, some of the worst performances Lyon have ever put up, uh, particularly if you ever want to have a look at the highlights of one. Lyon v Clermont Foot. I think they lost that game 3-1 and it's horrific what happened there. And to really go into... We'll go into detail later, but my area my my outlook is that Bosch teams he tends to pile a lot of attackers forward and he has there's this thing called rest defense that we spoke about on the podcast I don't think he's a listener because he doesn't really know what it is and genuinely Sunday league level he seems to just get shredded on counter-attacks which is what happened at Leon uh, so that's his background those are his issues his previous issues but he's doing very well at PSV so Neil talk me through what's happened to PSV recently and then we can divulge into his tactics straight after I mean, first of all, I have to say, what an incredible introduction. I, I don't think either of us are getting an anywhere near convincing you. There about... was so much venom in that. It was like an Eminem rap song. <laughs> and, and I, I think, you know, anyone who knows Alex will know that, you know, he hits a fair few people. The fact that he hits Bosch so much says a lot about, you know, Bosch it's, and... Yeah, the fact that people publicly come to me in person or online and say, why, like, what is this thing you've got against Bosch? <laughs> But it, it is, it, he's probably the man I most hate in football. Wow. Maybe uh, just to wow. be not as a person, I'm sure I he's mean, a lovely same man. It's just Yeah, let's just be clear. As a personal human being, I'm sure he's very lovely. It's just on a football level, as a footballing person, yes, he's below Seth Blatter. <laughs> so, so, what do you think? If, if you put Seth Blatter in charge of Leon instead of Bosch? They wouldn't be in a relegation scrap right now. Is, is that what I'm hearing? I guarantee you they'll be more stable. <laughs> Neil, we have to do something about this. This is getting out of hand. Uh, this is See, Seth will bribe the rest of the league. Allegedly. 
interesting. Anyway, uh, let's let's get uh, to some of that PSV background. And um, so, of course, I mean, I, I don't think I need to say they're one of the biggest clubs uh, in Dutch football. One of the most successful. Won tons of titles. Twenty four, I think. Uh, with the last one coming in 2017-18, we've dropped off a little bit since then. Ajax, uh, definitely until this season, of course, when you know they're completely gone. But until the last couple of seasons, Ajax were the dominant team. Pace, we had a bit of a drop off. Chopped and changed managers a fair bit. Uh, last guy in charge of them was uh, Ruud van Nistelrooy, who did I pretty good. I think he was fairly exciting. I think um, you know, in hindsight, the sort of weaknesses in how he, he set his side up and Bosch. Uh, are similar, uh, so I I I don't know you know where he's gonna end up next. I don't think he has taken a job after leaving PSV at the end of last season, unless I've forgotten something. Uh, but uh, yeah, in any way, in any case, so you know they have. I mean, they've not dropped off massively like Ajax. You know, after that title, they finished second in every season except nineteen uh, twenty, where they technically finished fourth. But obviously, that was the season that was cut because of covid the eredivisie did not restart so in every full completed season uh, since 1718 they have finished in the top 2 and this year they look absolutely set to finish first because we're i mean we're not yet at the halfway stage of the season in terms of games played but uh, the 2023 part of it is over in the eredivisie they are first 16 games played 16 wins 48 points pretty sure that's a record uh, and yeah I think it's very likely, obviously, that they'll go not just unbeaten, but with a perfect 100% record for at least the first half of the season, which is quite incredible. So, PSV are clearly playing well. Uh, but obviously, the big question is, why is that the case? So, any mm-hmm. thoughts, Alex, before we dive into the tactics? Well, me and you, Neil, are very much on the same level here, because I was just about to say, I think one re- one thing we need to get out there now is that the Eredivisie is in an interesting state. We'll develop this later on, I'm sure, like in the tactical identity. But Ajax, as we know, uh, not a serious football club at the moment, although they've climbed back to fifth. Uh, RZ Alkmaar, they're an interesting one. Pascal Jensen, the manager, previously highly rated and... You know, again, full context, I've not watched much Eredivisie this season. I did watch quite a bit last season and a lot the years before. This season I've tuned out. And from what I can read online from the likes of from people the likes of uh, uh, Get Football and Football Arangia, very good site, um, Neil quickly confirmed, Pascal Jensen seems to be in a lot rougher state this year, get heavily criticised for recent lineups uh, in Europe and in the big games. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, that is true. And I think Azard are also... Maybe not, uh, you know, given the fact that Ajax are struggling, they might have wanted to come closer to the top two, but they are fourth currently and very much at risk of being overtaken, perhaps by uh, by Ajax. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that's fair. And overtaken, they already are overtaken by FC Twent, uh, who are on a very good run. I don't have much information on them, but they kept an insane defense last year. And now they're uh, apparently seem to be, I think, fourth top scorers in the league. So they've changed tactic. And second, we've got Arnie Schlotz Feyenoord, uh, who, you know, almost joined Tottenham in the summer, then signed a new contract. And 48 goals for, 14 against is a really good record. It's just PSV beat it with 56 goals for, 6 against. And I know Fiat Feyenoord lost to PSV recently. Maybe we'll touch into that. Um, but yeah, up and down in the Eredivisie at the moment. Uh, another fun nugget. Remember Vitesse, Chelsea's own team. They used to get in Europe quite often. They're currently bottom on 11 points. So, you know, it's very odd, very odd situation. And I would say as well, before you uh, go into the tactics, um, listeners of the podcast will know that uh, my uh, one true love in football is UEFA coefficient rankings. And uh, the oh, that me and Neil battled this year. And uh, Neil will try and deny this, but he... Uh, he will be annoyed. He's been annoyed by the fact. And this is it's got narrative purpose. Uh, the Eredivisie had the chance to overtake France this year um, in top five league rankings uh, by UEFA. And they didn't... They I'm pretty sure they were in pole position, actually. And because their teams have done so badly in Europe, I'd say bar PSV, um, they've, they've lost that pole position. And unless there's a miracle of France bottling it, which in fairness is probably likely knowing them... Uh, the Netherlands have sacrificed that fifth spot. So not only is it a bit up upheaval in the league, but on the European stage, like their recent good track record in Europe has 
all of a sudden dived off a cliff. So that's the background of the Eredivisie. Uh, Neil, as a right reply, I'm not going to give you one. We're actually going to go straight <laughs> into tactics now. Um, so talk to me. What is Petr Bosch doing? Is he still leaving three men at the back and just piling everyone forward? What's he doing? Look, Alex, I'm delighted to tell you that Petr Bosch has changed absolutely nothing. He's playing Great. basically the exact way he wanted to in previous teams. So in possession, you'll see something like a 2-3-5 or maybe a 3-2-5 of sorts. Um, and yeah, even, even when we say 2-3-5 or 3-2-5, the nominally holding midfielders are not exactly people you would associate with the idea of, you know, a pure number six. So it's it's very, very attack-minded to say the least. Uh, the, the difference in shape generally comes from the right back, uh, Jordan Teze, who will either, or rather when he's playing, um, he will often stay deep to form uh, a back three of sorts or invert into midfield for that two three five of course if it's someone else they'll just sort of stay up wide alongside the midfield like often Sergio Dest so he'll stay up wide there with obviously Johan Bakayoko the right winger and then he'll also go up to overlap if it's Dest but that's you know basically the the shape roughly of course how they want to play is lots of possession lots of passing Norris I mean you know you can criticize Bosch for many things you can't really criticize his teams for not being entertaining. So there's a good passing play, entertaining passing play. They can play through the center. They can go out wide. They can do all sorts of stuff. Um, and they've got some very good, obviously, technically good players, dangerous uh, like dribblers. Johan Bakayoko, I suppose, top of that list. They're right winger. They're really good on the ball. We'll speak more about him, of course, when we touch on our players later on. But his his dribbling threat on that right in particular is really important because what they can do is they can sort of build in the center or even on the left and then switch it across to him. He can take people on one-on-one. He's also very, I mean, he's sort of left-footed. So he does obviously cut inside and shoot, but he's also good at cutting inside and crossing. And the important thing for PSV is that they've Luke De Jong up top, who again, may be criticized for some stuff, but what you can't criticize him for is not being tall because he is very tall. And so he does uh, get on the end of a lot of crosses uh, and he does head home a lot of stuff. So they can attack in various ways, basically. And they, they're always doing something. They're never sitting around, passing the ball aimlessly. Uh, so even if they're like five up, they will attack. If they're five down, they will do the same thing. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the one thing you've got to hand to them. But any any other thoughts on that, Varun? Yeah, I think you summed it up pretty well. And I actually like the way you said it. Because when normally we say three to five for most teams... You're assuming those two are two sixes, right? I mean, like they're holding midfielders. They're close to the block of three. In PSV's case, not really. They're like two high eights. I mean, they're like, they're in positions you would expect something like um, a peak Guardiola City team having De Bruyne and, you know, David Silva as those two high tens. I mean, and those two players are like that high. And they form a very, very clear and expansive front five. So it's just the number of people they pour in attack. Um, Sergino Dest often when he plays on the left side, he is literally like an inverted winger. He's holding with on the left and cutting in, um, playing in uh, balls into the left half space. He 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 looks like uh, uh, like like Rashford on the left wing or something, or Neymar on the left wing or something like that. You know, when he's playing left back. So it's actually pretty crazy, and that's the reason they overload a lot of players. It seems like a 3-5, to five, but there's probably seven attackers there. There's like a well-spread front five. And then there are two more players who are trying to get in the pockets or making late runs or uh, hovering around the edge of the box to take shots. So it's pretty crazy. And what that results in is a massive spread. So I just have a few things, uh, a few stats. Uh, I won't go into detailed data. Alex will do that later, I'm assuming. But if you just see the chances created uh, by PSV, so I'm just looking at the Eredivisie table chances created. Number one is Veerman from PSV Eindhoven. Number two, Bakayoko from PSV Eindhoven. Then there are a few players, Luke de Jong from PSV Eindhoven. Then there are a few players, Malik Tillman, PSV Eindhoven. Five more players, Jordan Teze, PSV Eindhoven. They have five players in the top 25. 
uh, when it comes to chances created. I mean, that kind of spread speaks volumes of the associative play. And this is where I feel boss deserves credit. It's just not as crazy as just throw everyone forward. They do have some really good positional play. So at the end of this, boss is still a positional play manager. He's not one random vertical, uh, you know, long ball playing or attacking manager. He, he does love his positional play. They form a lot of triangles and they create spaces and then get into those spaces. And I think the joy of an attack, at least, uh, in a Peter Boss team is to see how the players get into those spaces. And he has multiple patterns. It's not just very... I think we spoke about it a few episodes back in the Luis Enrique PSG uh, episode about how his chance creation is very limited to those two patterns, right? The wide overloads and the winger getting in or the number eight getting in. And PSV have that across the front five or six. Lots of players can get into spaces and get into scoring or assisting uh, positions. And that's why the stats are well spread like this. And just to round off that point, uh, the goal contribution spread this year, uh, Luke De Jong 21, Bakayoko 13, Veerman 12, uh, Gustil 10, Tillman 9, uh, and all of Saibari, uh, Lorenzo Pepe, all of them on 7. So it's just like a crazy spread. And this has been there throughout um, Bosch's career. Uh, if you go back to 2016-2017, Leverkusen, very exciting team. There were 7 players in double digits. Chicharito, Hakan Chalunoglu, Julian Brandt, Kevin Volland, uh, Bellarby, Havertz. By the way, what a team. I mean, that sounds like a star-studded lineup. They all went places after that. All of these players were in double digits by the end of the season. So, I think that's just a really nice trademark of a Bosch team. The goals and assists are just so spread out across not just two or three players, but five to seven players. And they, that speaks volumes of the multiple patterns in attack in wide half spaces and central areas because of which people get into really good assisting and scoring positions repeatedly. Wow. Yeah, and sorry. No, 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 Oh, that's too less. But my quick point is um, that, uh, as Varun said, Bosch is a positional play manager. I think positional play managers get mischaracterized a little bit by the likes of Guardiola, Luis Enrique, who are very control-oriented. I think it's important to know that positional play does not necessitate control. And Bosch is a great example of that. He's uh, an example of someone who does very fun positional play. Obviously, that has some negative effects on his team, which we'll get on to. But yeah, I think that's just one point to keep in mind. Okay, by positional play, this is my big question because I'm hearing a lot of about positional play, and you know I think most audience understand that, right? Uh, players occupy in equidistant, equidistant spaces on the pitch, trying to pull opposition teams apart. But my question here is that I haven't quite got a grasp of yet, and your attempts to convince me PSV are good, and it's just not the Eredivisie being bad. How are they? What are these chances they are creating? So. It, it, are, are, are their goals coming from, you know, cutbacks, from really good manipulations of defensive block, where they're creating space inside the box and finishing chances? Or has it been more a case of long shots? Has it been more a case of half chances? What's Then you can go into the data. I'm not going to go into the data later. As I say, I'm not going to pretend like I know anything here. But how valuable are the chances they are creating? And how much is it a product of good positional play and good attacking approaches? Or just bad defences. Uh, I will leave that open to either one of you. Neil's unmuted his mic first, so he's ready for war. Yeah, because I have got exactly the set of stats we need. So I'm going to tell you, per 90, uh, well, not per 90. I'm going to use the league ranks of how PSA create their chances through some ways, all right? So cutbacks, they're fifth in the league. Crosses, they're second. Through balls, they're first. And dribbles, they're second. So it, it's, it's a good spread, I'd say. You know, as I mentioned, crosses is a lot to do with just big old De Jong being there. But I think the the likes, the number eights, they do deserve good credit. The likes of, you know, Saibari, Till, Veerman, they do also make good late runs into the box. So uh, that, that that's something to keep in mind. Uh, of course, cutbacks too. Through balls, because obviously they do love to counter-attack as well. And they, of course, always try to look in behind if there's like a high line they're facing. 
So that makes sense. And dribbles again because they've got te- you know very good technical players like uh, Bakayoko, Saibari. So I think that explains it. And in terms of chance quality, they are joint top in the Eredivisie with Feyenoord at 0.13 non-penalty expected goals per shot. Their XG has been 51.3 this season and they have scored 56 goals. So, yeah, that's not a crazy old performance. That, that, is, that, that is actually very convincing. Uh, I, I will give you that. And um, I think just wow. to add... Just to the add... biggest achievement of my life. <laughs> We've we haven't touched on his possession yet, Neil. Calm down. Yeah. Well, what you say? We have one very big thing going against us soon, Neil. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just to add to Neil's point, I also think the way in which they create, or any Bosch team for that matter, I'm going past all his seven, eight, nine years, uh, is also heavily dependent on the profiles. Uh, the crosses coming at second rank here is largely due to uh, Luke de Jong being there. But if you even go back to Leverkusen, the crosses were, may, may not be that much, but then the through balls were a lot more. I mean, people like Havertz, for example, um, the whole reason he was so successful there was because he was a very good space explorer. And they would constantly get him running behind the defense in really good poaching positions uh, with nice through balls. And those are the kind of players he likes. He likes intelligent players who are good movers because tactically, they create space well. And I would say the Eredivisie factor and even the Bundesliga factor to a large extent comes in the form of there is space to be, you know, uh, This is my question. We've we've just heard a lot about high lines and through balls. How yeah. often are they facing these? Because I'm, 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 I'm curious. The team at top of the league by nearly what by ten points. If I'm any Eredivisie side, I'm sitting back and countering. So what? How many teams are not doing that against them? <laughs> Almost uh, well, <laughs> Yeah. Look, to be honest, uh, hmm. if again, I I probably should look up some data for this, but. Just like intuitively, what I would say is the uh, in terms of approach against like big teams, the Eredivisie is very different to the Bundesliga. So in the Bundesliga, like most teams will play their way crazy high press, all of that against anyone doesn't matter. So there's loads of you know there's crazy high lines from everyone top to bottom of the table. In the Eredivisie, that's not really the case so much, especially bottom half sides against big teams. You'll see proper low blocks like. They, they defend in their own half exclusively almost. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I, w- I would say it's not quite, I mean, it's not like the Bundesliga at all um, in, in that respect. Let me see if I can sort of find some stats to back that up. But And, you uh, could, and then you could bring it into the stack section maybe. And then yeah, we'll, yeah, but yeah. intuitively this is what I'd say. Okay, but, that's I mean, fair enough. Just to um, answer Alex's question, if Peter Bosch was facing low blocks in a league that had a lot of them, I still think his attack would be good. He's not super reliant on um, on the space behind a high line, for example. I think his teams inherently, because of the positional play, because of the numbers they commit, because of the numerous rotations they have wide centrally, they are able to create space in, in a good manner. So I would say he, he'd be able to coach a good attack even in a tough league. I don't think that's the problem. Like, that end of the team is, I, I think, pretty much fine and I'm a little more positive about. It's the other end, which I'm, uh, I cannot, I cannot uh, make any assurances of what a Peter Bosch team can do at the highest level. You're, you're cooking with these facts. It does, in fact, sound like someone who's cooking <laughs> in the house. So, um, that is interesting. And, uh, no, I, I hear your point, Varun. Um, and I will say, you know, I can understand that. His attacks can often look good. Equally, you can get less out of players like Ryan Cherky than uh, managers like Laurent Blanc. So, you know, not always good. Uh, let's hear about his out of possession then, because if he's throwing so many men forward, doesn't sound like he has many men back. Varen, we'll go back to you. Oh, Neil was unmuted. No, 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 Neil. Neil, don't be shy. You can come back out if you like. Do you want to go first? Do you want to no, jump? I, I just wanted to ask, do you want to go to out of possession, like defensively first, or do you want to talk about the rest defence? Because that's the... Elephant in the room. Well, we should I, probably I just... go rest defense because I imagine they don't need okay. to do much defending. Yeah, I mean, so the rest defense. Look, here's the thing. All right, um, when they turn the ball over, their defense is resting, so they don't really do much there. They they're pretty susceptible to getting played through, and this is where I think the biggest Eredivisie tax gets applied 
um, because I am generally whenever I watch them against these low block teams, I'm very disappointed by what I see from these teams on the counter. It's almost like they don't really care about scoring a goal because often you'll see these five four one low blocks or four five one with nine people in and around their box. So then there's nothing they can do going forward. So that's why they haven't really. And this is the thing. So this is why. A Peter Bosch team and Peter Bosch style is not really being exploited in the Eredivisie like it would in the Bundesliga. And even so, even with that being said, um, I can tell you that in terms of XG conceded from counters per 90, PSV are 10th in the league. And, and, and mind you, their sort of XG against is the best. Uh, I think it's around 12 in total. Uh, and they've only considered six goals. So that's, you know, a significant overperformance too. But they, like, generally... On paper, with the numbers, you can say they have the best defense. Do they have the best rest defense, rest defending tactics? Absolutely not. And I cannot defend that um, okay. at, at any cost. Just well, like boys <laughs> <laughs> uh, No, I mean, I would actually put it in another way. I don't think he cares about it. And that is the bigger issue because... We, we, we talk about tactics, right? And sometimes it also comes down to intent. Sometimes we say, okay, a manager wants to do something. Maybe a manager wants to have a good rest defense, but he doesn't have the profiles or uh, they're not able to keep enough possession to get people back. There are a lot of reasons to why a rest defense strategy can fail. In Peter Bosch's case, I think it's simply because he doesn't care much. Uh, because I remember him saying this and it actually goes very well with his whole idea of defense in general, which is very debatable. But he's a very, very big fan of the eight second um, um, eight second press, eight second steal. Uh, within eight seconds, my team should uh, win the ball back. Pep Guardiola stated this when he was at Barcelona. And if you remember, they also had similar rest defense issues before uh, Pep evolved and became a rest defense uh, champion. But in his early career, in those first one or two years, he also had a very, very strong eight-second rule. They would press like dogs, you know, like packs uh, chasing the ball and try and win the ball higher up the pitch so that it never comes to a point where, you know, a rest defense is required. So I think a lot of football evolved from there. Guardiola himself evolved from there. Um, but Peter Bosch kind of, got lost in that um, that wonderful concept that, you know, if my pressing is really good and if I win the ball higher up, it won't even, I won't even require it. What, you're trying to tell me Petr Bosch's defensive tactics are 15 years out of date? Give or take. Probably. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, again, I am going to try and defend him a bit. To his credit... All the best, man. Yeah. Well, then he'll defend it. Uh, to his credit, his high-press tactics are superb. They, I mean, obviously, PSV have the highest regains in the final third in the Eredivisie. But even his Leverkusen had the highest regains in the final third in the two, in, I think, the peak two years when it went well. After that, it didn't. But at least for two years, that was true. So his pressing tactics are superb. They commit, again, they commit a lot of players on the press and they really do quite well. But yeah, the moment that press is beaten, they look so vulnerable. I saw the Ajax game, which they won 5-2, by the way. They decimated Ajax. But within the first 10 minutes, if Brian Broby wasn't finishing form, Ajax, he could have had a hat-trick in 10 minutes alone. Because it's just so easy and it's what Neil said, right? Ajax actually were a little adventurous and they had a good outlet in Broby. So each time they won the ball... There's massive amounts of space and they played Broby in. And he was just one-on-one twice. And one was a really good save from uh, the PSV goalkeeper. Um, And another one, Broby scuffed the chance. So, if they're good teams that know how to attack you in transition, and you see this in all the good leagues so often, in the Premier League, if you have such a naive rest defense, and even La Liga in most of the good leagues, they will easily counter you. They Just one good outlet, someone like Ollie Watkins or Ivan Tony, one good outlet and they'll keep crushing you because you don't have a good rest defense. So, yeah, I mean, that is definitely an issue. And when uh, Peter Bosch teams play good teams, we saw it so often in the Bundesliga. Uh, I saw it recently versus Ajax. We've seen it in the Champions League. Uh, when they play really good teams, that is definitely taken advantage of. And that's probably the reason why 
he's just not going to be a Champions League uh, aiming manager or a treble aiming manager for a top club. That is the one really, really big weakness in this uh, in this game. In yeah, this what, management what I'm game. getting from this is he needs he needs a massive advantage over the rest of the league to be able to dominate that league. And yep. it's like, I think this is what went wrong for him at Lyon. He tried to press a team. He tried to do this to Clermont Foot, who had just basically newly promoted, and because they weren't absolute minnows. They tore his Leon team apart, and the Venice Leon team did have Jerome Boateng at the back, and I can't remember the other guy. It was a very, it wasn't a great defense, but yeah, it was kind of exposed. Neil, do you? Yeah, want I think PSV. Uh, just to confirm your point, something like a PSV suits him very well. Something like a Benfica would suit him very well. Like one of the, like an Al Sad. Yeah, one of the top two three teams in the league, high quality players, so that they can work around the. The rest defense issues and actually just win the ball high up and score a lot of goals and make it more or less meaningless. Neil, you have your hand up. Do you want to add one final point to this bit before we head into data? Yep, I think just to back up what Varun said. Now, obviously, they have a 100% record in the league, but I watched all their matches against the big teams, like the other, I would say, the top four. And I would argue they were lucky to win all of them. So, Varun outlined the Ajax game. And of course, that was also a case of Ajax being horrendous. Um, uh, but that's different. Then their most recent one was against AZ, which they won 4-0, which was, I think, their best performance against a top four team. Um, and of course, we do have to caveat that with, as you mentioned at the start of the podcast, AZ not having the best of seasons. But even this was really, they basically, they scored like three goals in the first 16 minutes with give or take their first three shots. Um, and then the game was done. Uh, so that was that. Then they beat Feyenoord 2-1. Uh, away from home, massive result. Possibly, I would say, in hindsight, the one which effectively confirms the title, unless they absolutely bottle it. Um, and the this one also, I'd argue they were lucky to win. Feyenoord, I would say, the better team in the first half. Didn't really convert their dominance into chances, and that's what cost them. And then they beat Twente 3-0. That's because Twente got a red card in the 25th minute. So, you know, they... When, like, in this case, they were lucky to uh, to some degree to win these games. And as Warren said, in the Champions League, they did finish second, but they had a negative goal difference and also a negative expected goal difference uh, in, an, obviously, a 14 group. So, again, it's not like they were really... And I would argue, in all of those six games, obviously, the two against Arsenal are, Arsenal are a team well above their level, so out of question. But even against Lons and Sevilla in, the, in those four matches, I would argue PSV never looked really good um i didn't watch all of them but at least the ones i watched i would definitely say that it was not like they blew anyone away uh, to any sort of level near what they are doing in the league so yeah i think what yeah, ultimately i don't know if do you want to get into this now but i guess my ultimate point about bosch like varun said is that he is very very good for these leagues and also very fun and I guess that's the, like that's my ultimate point is that Bosch teams are fun to watch, obviously given the right context. The why right do we watch everything. football? Yeah, exactly. Like we we uh, why do you watch? Why do you play to have fun? Bosch teams are a lot of fun. So, so up, it's Alex. just that's great entertainment. So that's okay. why oh, we're oh. good. That's why Bosch is good. End of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Okay, no order in court. Thank you. I will take. I will take <laughs> that. I will take that argument. Uh, in for my conclusion um is there any data points you guys want to throw up i feel like we touched on it a lot but is there anything i'm glaringly missing you want to t- you want to put into the air uh all right the i'll circle back to that thing about the editivity which i was saying um so if we look uh shall we look at their ppda i think that's a good idea to do it so in terms of ppda in the editivity um no one is in single digits except psv which is, you know, intense pressing uh, area. And then you've got your Twente, Ajax, Feyenoord, Almea City, Fortuna, Sittard, AZ, Utrecht, NAC, Vitesse. And then the rest of the league is around or below 15. So that's like not pressing at all. Um, so as you can see, it's not nearly around what the Bundesliga is. And you know what, for context, I will pull up the Bundesliga as well in a moment. But I can guarantee you that more than one team will be in single digits uh, in yeah. the Bundesliga. So, yeah, I think, in a sense, uh, the Eredivisie is not as end-to-end um, and as intense in terms of pressing and high lines and all that. 
uh, as the Bundesliga. And I have got the Bundesliga now as well. And would you look at that? There's actually no one in single digits in the Bundesliga. Oh, well. Uh, but but then, yeah, everyone is basically everyone is below 15. Only Union, Berlin, Heidenheim, Freiburg, and Borussia Mönchengladbach are not. So, so there's, there's no team just completely dominating like in the Eredivisie. No, but yeah. uh, everyone does try to press. To I mean, FC Twente sound quite interesting. Oh, yeah, they're a very fun team, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Look into the future. Okay, so before I deliver my conclusion and my thoughts on Peter Bosch, see if you guys have won the argument, we've got some players to discuss. Uh, one I keep hearing about is Johan Bakayoko. Now, I watched him a bit last year, and I was quite unconvinced. And I'm expecting you guys, to be honest, to be as unconvinced, because his hype online has taken off. A lot of people really rating him like as a top, top Eredivisie product. And maybe he's just gone through a big development. Last time I watched him, he was kind of like a rotational player at PSV. Varun, am I wrong? Has Baki- Johan Bakayoko transformed into some, like one of the best players in the Eredivisie? Or is the hype getting overblown? Um, It's a bit of both. For one, I wouldn't say that he's ready, super ready for a top team move yet. Um, or even if he is, they'll have to take him as rotation. Um, he's not starting for a Champions League team, like, coming summer. But then I also have to say he has improved a lot. And I think I saw him a year ago, and it was the same as you. I wasn't super impressed. And he, he again, he wasn't playing much. I think part of it is him improving, and part of it is also just the confidence of playing consistently. And I think some traits of his which were missing uh, earlier or people just thought he was a dribbly winger, which he is, by the way. He takes all the boxes for a left-footed uh, right winger. He can uh, stay wide on the touchline. He's usually uh, pretty wide on the touchline. Somet- sometimes in Sergino Des plays, then Dest overlaps and he comes uh, inside. But he has all the typical traits of someone who can stay wide, cut in, use his dribbling skills, beat his man, and then play in a cross. Um, but beyond that, he's also, I think, a really smart creator. He's able to play a variety of um, of through balls, of passes. He's able to... His, his vision is pretty decent. And that was something I don't think we could have said a year ago, where he was just a bit more a raw dribbly boy. So I think he's matured in that sense of his game. I still think his goal threat and his ability to get a lot of goals or get on the end of uh, of other people's passes is a little lacking. I think he's a little bit better at dribbling and providing. And I have this really nice uh, opt-analyst list in front of me, which basically details his chance-creating carries. And in terms of his actions following carries, he has 17 shots and 10 chances created in, in the 27 uh, carries in dangerous areas that he's made from which he's got two goals and two assists so probably yeah uh, execution wise he should be doing a little better a lot of his uh, chance creations are just crosses or dips into the penalty area and a lot of his shots are from distance which again because he's so far away from goal or he's dribbling from from wide that's those are the kind of positions he gets into his off the ball movement can be a little better all in all i'd say there are a lot of raw traits there i mean if a mid-table team picks him up and starts him, I think he can again have another whole level of improvement. Or if a top team takes him and plays him in rotation and keeps giving him chances, then that could also lead to another spike in improvement. Like, for example, I wouldn't mind taking him at United and rotating him with Anthony. I think there's a lot of scope there um, for rotation. But I can totally see a mid-table team picking him up and making him their starter and then him getting a bigger move two years down the line if he keeps improving on some of these aspects. Neil, do you have anything to add on Bakayoko? Yeah, no, no I think... he doesn't. Okay, I don't. <laughs> We've got other players to discuss, Neil. Um, All right. And I'm never in charge of the podcast. I'm stealing my... Uh, I'm taking my chance, I'm afraid. Uh, no, no, I'll, to round him off, genuinely, yeah, eight assists in a league, that is pretty solid. And 20 years old, it is good. Neil, I'll give you... I'll give you a, a simple way to round him up, actually, because I think he is the biggest talent. Uh, so I will let you air your thoughts. Uh, Belgian dribbly winger, straight away you think Jeremy Doku. Is that a very lazy comparison? If you were to compare the players, what are the differences? 
Mm, yeah, I think there's a few differences. So for one, I would say Daku is far more explosive. He's got a lot more sort of a burst acceleration to get past people. Bakayoko maybe a you know a bit more intricate with his dribbling with like quick touches. Um, and yeah, what I do really like about Bakayoko, uh, as Varun said, is that he can create in a variety of ways. And over the last year, uh, his decision making has really improved. So obviously, he's also developed great vision to see those passes. But he's also starting to pick the right passes and the, making the right decisions more. So I'd say he's improved in that respect. And of course, you know, the big difference between Daku and Bakayoko is obviously the footedness. Um, Bakayoko being left-footed. And yeah, so so I think the because of their sort of difference in dribbling style, uh, Daku is someone who can sort of drive, you know, to the touchline or infield at high speed and then like cut back or shoot or whatever. Whereas Bakayoko is someone who, as Varun said, is you know a bit further away from goal, so he might need to whip across in or take a longer, more curling shot, um, uh, shot. So that sort of stuff. So yeah, I'd say you know briefly those are some of the differences that come up. Think, but uh, what I will say, uh, last thing is I would argue he's not the best talented pacer right now, and that's because of the next player I'll speak of. But before that, Varun, if you have some to add, I was just gonna say if I had to compare him to a player, I would probably say Michael Olise. Uh, yeah. That's like a closer comparison. Yeah, Someone who glides in from wide areas and then can pick a pass. That's cool. That's cool. I mean, I you said you take him at United. I would take him at United as well because I think Anthony's the most... <laughs> Anthony yeah, genuinely is the most limited would. football I've ever watched in my entire life. I couldn't believe watching him at the weekend. It's insane. Um, but you said not the most talented player. It, Neil, is it Ismail Saibari, the 22-year-old uh, Moroccan with four goals and two assists? Is he more talented? I mean, okay, so talent is a difficult word, but what I will say is there's not enough. <laughs> what I will say is there's not enough noise being made about this guy because he's really, really good. I've been very impressed by him. So obviously, you said four goals to assist that, not quite as impressive as, as Bakayoko's what three goals, eight assists or whatever. But obviously, you have to remember Bakayoko is uh, sorry, Saibari is a midfielder, Bakayoko is a winger. Uh, so obviously, that explains that. And also, um, Saibari is. Not, I mean, he nominally plays as a sort of number eight, but he, I would say his primary responsibility is ball progression. And then his secondary responsibility is sort of, you know, chance creation, goal scoring, all that. So where he really stands out to me is how he helps his team progress the ball. He is really, really intelligent with his off-ball positioning, picking up pockets of space or positions between the lines, also all sorts of stuff, you know, great awareness, great intelligence, really understands the game very well. And he's also technically superb. He's got a great first touch, receives very well on the half turn if needed, um, can get forward pretty two-footed with how he, you know, receives and carries the ball. So he can half turn on his right or left, uh, depending on what the situation uh, demands. And he's also a really strong carrier. Uh, I'm pretty sure he is 99th percentile in the Eredivisie, to be fair, um, uh, in terms of progressive carries, averaging 4.76 per 90 over the last year. Uh, he's also 97th percentile in terms of take-ons uh, and progressive passes, also ranking very highly, close to about 7 per 90, around the 86th percentile. So, an excellent, excellent ball progressor through especially receiving and carrying and also really, really good through his progressive passing. And then in the final third, he does. I mean, he's, I, I would definitely say, although he has four goals and two assists, I would I would rate his sort of creative abilities higher than his goal scoring in the long run. And I think if you look back to his previous seasons, you'll probably see that in his output numbers as well. But yeah, again, he's really intelligent. He's got great vision, knows where his and awareness, knows where his uh, teammates are, can pick them out with you know nice disguised passes, slip through balls, all sorts of stuff. And also can pose a goal threat, you know, with his late runs into the box uh, and such. So I think he does embody, you know, Bosch's style of play in a way, in the sense that he's he's obviously really intelligent. So while he will sort of stay in oh, his position, don't you dare say no, no, he's a Bosch's style of play. No, no, he's I, I did, very intelligent. You're no, just I, asking for trouble. Aren't no, no, you? No, I didn't mean it like that. What I meant is he's he's like an ideal Bosch player in the sense that he will sort of stay in his positions like. He knows where he has to be on the pitch, but he's also really intelligent in terms of picking up the exact positions and helping the team progress and everything. So, like, he's an ideal person that Bosch would want to enact his style of play. Let me rephrase it that way. 
Okay, okay. Fair, fair enough. That was, a, that was a very nice summary. Let's talk about Joey Veerman, who's a player, 25 years old, uh, Dutch midfielder, who a few years ago there was big hype. I think he was almost going to Rangers before he went to PSU from Herdenveen. He's one of the first players, uh, I th- I, like, I, you know, when you, we, we've all come up in this industry, right? We all think, we all start by looking at young players and predicting which ones will be a success. Veerman was probably one of my first. Love this midfielder. Surprise, he's still at PSV. Which one of you wants to talk about him? I guess I will. Um, <laughs> because well, this is not going to. So, anyway. Um, you go first. Yeah, I'll go first. So, so, you know what we mentioned like at the start of the podcast about how PSV's number sixes aren't really number sixes because they also push up like a crazy amount, like a number eight almost. That's basically what Vimmin's doing at PSV. So, he definitely was not uh, a number six uh, or like a deeper defensive midfielder. Uh, coming up through his, uh, you know, his, his youth career and and onwards, but now in this Bosch system, he he can be used that way. So, if if we're th- taking this from like a transfer point of view in terms of where he might end up next, then although if you look at like his position on paper, it'll say like defensive midfielder. He's not a defensive midfielder. He's a more attacking midfielder. So I think that's the first thing to keep in mind. And if we look at his some of his numbers, he is definitely a more creative player. I be- I do believe he does take set pieces, so you do have to keep that in mind when you look at his assist numbers. But if we look back, so he came through at Volendam in the second uh, tier in, in the Netherlands, and then uh, at Heerenveen. If we look back at his assist numbers since 2020-21, which was when he was 21, uh, here's his, his assists in the league. So 10, 6, 5, 10, and 9 already this season. So clearly a very good creative uh, player again uh, very good on the ball he great technique great ball striking for chance creation generally we associate ball striking with like shooting and power and everything but Veerman's, uh you know does it really well for his creation so he can whip crosses in thread through balls perfectly so yeah i, I would say just yeah, a very very good creative midfielder not a number six Farron, any last points yeah i mean Agree with Neil. If you look at his stats, even in the Eredivisie, his pass percentage is something like 78%, which puts him in the bottom 30 percentile. And if you just, in general, look at his profile, he's just absolutely smashing it for all the creative metrics. He's 99 percentile for everything. Key passes, expected assists, shot creating actions, both from live balls and red balls. But he's like super low for all the security stuff, like pass percentage and those kind of things so it's very clear to see this guy is a proper creator who needs to be a little expansive and who needs that license in a peter bosch system you can get that license even from the base of midfield uh, that's just how crazy things are i think in a bigger team he'll get that license only as a high number eight like if you're saying teams are in a 4-3-3 or they form a box midfield he will definitely be part of the higher you know, or the almost number 10-ish kind of players, almost like a James Madison role or a Pogba role, you know, that, that's kind of where I think he belongs. I think he's superbly creative. I, I actually think he can uh, get these kind of stats, these kind of assist numbers, even in a better league. And I agree that he should have moved by now. And I think very soon he will move. Nice. Uh, well, just very quickly, Alex, I know we're a bit short on time, but to answer your question that you asked at the start about why he hasn't moved, I think I disagree with you, Warren, on that last point, because what you basically said is exactly why I think he hasn't moved. So what we know about him is that he's a really fantastic creative midfielder, but one who does play deeper. And obviously, when you play deeper, you get more time on the ball. You are generally playing forward, looking upward, looking uh, you know towards the goal. You get more time, you have better vision, etc., etc. So that's why I, I'm not entirely sure if he can keep this up in the sort of high eight role you described, where he'll you know have to play in tighter spaces, often receiving with his back to goal and stuff. I'm not sure how sort of translatable his creativity is in that sense. So I think that's a big reason maybe why he hasn't moved uh, to a bigger lo- club or bigger league. Wonderful. Well, okay, that's a very nice summary of Joe Veerman. Now I'm gonna we've got two more players. We're gonna keep very short. Um, for time. Uh, Noah Lang, going to give an intro on him. Uh, former Ajax player. Uh, I think he came through Ajax, I believe. Then he moved to Club Brugge after he fell out of Eric Ten Hag. Um, to say a controversial pass uh, would, um, you know, 
undersell it, I think. Uh, he celebrated Club Bruges' most recent title victory uh, by joining with an anti-Semitic chant uh, with the fans. Not good. Uh, and then, I believe the year before he left, he left last summer uh, to uh, to PSV. The year before, Neil, you'll, you'll know about this because you know literally about everything. Um, he he referred to himself in the third person uh, about saying Belgian football will miss Nova Lang when he's not here. Do you know about that, Neil, right, surely? Yeah, I, I I don't remember when that was, but yeah, I definitely do remember that happened. I'm almost is... certain it was a year before he left, which is, makes it really funny. Yeah, right, that sums him up, honestly. And it sums him up. So yeah, my my very short uh, question to you, Neil, then, is, uh, so I was being 20 seconds how he's getting on. He's 24 years old. He's only got 500 minutes. Will he ever be a guy that we all go, wow, Noah Lang? Or is he going to be forgotten about in five years' time? Yeah, well, I guess that's a tough one to answer, but I can tell you what he's up to this season. He has been injured uh, for a f- about the last couple of months, so that probably explains his uh, minutes. Um, but yeah, he was, I believe, yeah, at least from at the start of the season, he was like a first-choice starter um, for Bosch. And I do think he will stay that way because he sort of mirrors Bakayoko on the left better than anyone else does. So like, if you look at um, PSV's last game when he was out injured, their left-winger on paper was Malik Tillman, who is more of a more central attacker. Definitely not a pure winger. So there's definitely a place in this team for him. Um, and yeah, I think you've, yeah, I think everyone who's heard of him knows he had great potential, great talent, but a lot of issues as well. Um, so I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't, ex- not expect, I wouldn't back him necessarily. Do you think it's going to be have a, a great Got career? It. Yeah, got it. You think it's going to be a flop? It, awesome. That's in, the answer we like Yes. Okay. Final player you guys noted down. Gus too. I feel like I've heard about for years. What's going on with him? Yeah, well, you, you'll find the name is actually Hoos. Uh, uh, because that's, uh, how the, uh, that's how the Dutch uh, well, instant I'm, soccer right, in this podcast, In this podcast, goes, I'm playing the role of the the, the white British man who knows nothing <laughs> and is, and, you know, it's, it's, you know Just, foreign football teams, foreign football clubs whatever <laughs> you know so i think you'll find it's all in character neil of course i knew it's right. good <laughs> right yeah who's still um he is sort of the opposite of veerman because he gets a lot of goals doesn't do a lot of assisting um so if we look back at his career he came through at az um and he had a couple of great eredivisie seasons when he was 19 and 20 got 9 and 12 goals respectively then his career took a bit of a weird turn. He went to Spartak Moscow in Russia, didn't play a lot, didn't have a good time. Went to Freiburg in the Bundesliga, didn't play a lot, didn't have a good time. Came back to Feyenoord, had a good time last season. No, not last season, in 2021-22. 15 goals that time. And now at PSV, he's got 9 goals last season and 7 this season. So he's more of uh, an sort of... Uh, an attacking midfielder in the sense that he takes up higher, more attacking positions. He plays, uh, he's he's almost like a late, I think his best trait is like his late runs into the box. Really intelligent uh, in terms of his movement, where he's going relative to where everyone else is in the box. So I think you'll find his XG numbers will always be quite impressive, especially for a midfielder. Um, and yeah, a decent finisher. He's not like an exceptional finisher. His his goals mainly come from just simply the fact that he gets into these great positions consistently. So I'd say that's the standout uh, trait about him. He's not necessarily the best of creators. He, I mean, he, he can sort of link up well in the final third, play those you know short passes, quick short passes that we often see from Bosch teams quite well. Very good at receiving progressive passes as well, um, but not a great progressor off the ball or a massive sort of a typical creator, what you would say, with like through balls and all that sort of stuff. That's not exactly what he's best at. Okay, well, I think it's time for my conclusions, guys, before I hand back to Neil to end the episode. Do you, so, after all we've taken in, uh, I think I've gained some respect for Petter Bosch and his attacking player. <laughs> and lost a lot more respect for the Eredivisie because quite clearly, as you guys <laughs> oh, have both outlined, <laughs> as you guys have both outlined, He's, he's a lot of his success is dependent on the fact that his team are the best team in the league, and that is the, that is a big part of the reason the way Peter Bosch plays 
is working right now. And as you guys have said, if it was in another league, it probably would not be working. And we have seen that in the past. So I will say I'm happy that Petr Bosch has found a home for his success. Uh, I dread to know what happens when Ajax remember they're a football club again. And, um, you know, maybe maybe he'll be able to get to... Whatever clubs do you reckon he could do well at, just very quickly? Like any any club... I mean, we all know he's going to win the league. No point to do predictions there. Uh, I'm now still in control at the moment. Would you, I think more fun prediction. When Ajax inevitably get good and Nero Divizio picks itself up, let's say Petr Bosch leaves or tries another job, what one works best for him? It can be up, it could be in like the top five leagues, or it can be down. My, mine will definitely be like, I think he'd do really well at Olympiacos. Do you know what? I think Ajax should have gone for him. Uh, ahead of Morris Stein, or mm. even, I, th- I think uh, Jan van Schiep is only on a contract till the end of the season, if I'm not mistaken. I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think they should go for him because he's, as we've said, he's perfect for the Eredivisie. So, and as as you, as we said at the start, you know, he sort of really made a name for himself at Ajax with that uh, Europa League run and everything. But yeah, he sh- uh, he should, as you said, like if it's not going to be Ajax, then it's going to be one of those other sort of lower leagues where. There's not a lot of competition for the top clubs, um, so. Also Prague. Yes, yeah. I mean, something honestly, something like that yeah, is I mean, ideal Alex, for them. Alex, you were you were looking for a boss demotion, and Neil just gave him a promotion. So. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I actually, and, the only promotion he can get, honestly, that, that's just, his ceiling. Yes. Varun, any quick club you can think of? I can think of Manchester United. No, no, no make it happen. No, no, please. <laughs> I. I just recently wrote a thread on Ten He's Hag. tired of bald Dutchmen. Exactly. He does not want to... <laughs> <laughs> I just recently wrote a thread on Ten Hag's rest defense and their issues. Uh, yes. It watches a whole other level of rest defense issues. Yeah, but do you I know cannot... what? The, 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 I, I was thinking of that, you know, when we were preparing for the episode. I think, <laughs> as Alex said, all of this, uh, what we discussed about Manchester United and Ten Hag's time at Ajax and about sort of the issues that might have been slightly visible there, which are obviously yeah. much more visible in the Premier League. I think what all of that goes to show is that the Eredivisie um, is not a very good league uh, for <laughs> rest defense, especially uh, exactly. as, as Alex was saying. No, 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 so, come back, come I, back. I won, but at what cost is what I'm going to say. <laughs> I mean, a genuine serious shout for hello to you to outro. A genuine, a genuine serious shout for Peter Bosch. A Celtic, probably a really good fit. Oh, yes. They, they do need him, by the way. Because yeah, Brendan Rodgers is very uh, unserious. I was going to say something like a sporting, maybe. If Ruben Amorim gets uh, taken by a bigger club, then any one of those Portuguese legacy clubs like Port- Sporting or Benfica, and again, give the other one a run and probably come top two or first. I, 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 think, that's, I think that's a very kind statement to uh, Petr Bosch. Going from Ruben Amorim to Petr Bosch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, I do think he... I think the, uh, the Portuguese league is a bit better than the Eredivisie in this yeah. respect. He'll struggle it's... a bit more, but I'm trying to yeah. think of... A slight also, evolution for Peter Bosch himself. Like, how long can he keep doing this? I mean, he'll have to for the rest of bit. his life, man. He's having fun, <laughs> and we're having fun. That's all for me, Neil. If you do, you want to add the final thoughts in the outro. All right. Well, yeah, I guess we don't have any final thoughts, so let's just dive straight into the outro. Because as always, thank you very much for listening, and thanks to you guys, Alex and Varun, for joining us on this one. If you guys enjoyed. Uh, Alex hosting and do let us know maybe we should uh, make him do that a bit more I think he'll be glad to do it because he had to do precisely no research um, for this episode I I, 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 I want you to be informed I just want to play the dumb man thank you Uh, I didn't give you right to reply there but anyway I'm a kind host what can I say anyway yes um, thanks for listening Um, you can find all of us on Twitter I'm at Shailat Neil Alex is at EuroExpert underscore. Varun runs the at the Devil's DNA account. And if you go to the at GetFootballEU account, um, you will find in the uh, the bio all the, the links and the handles of all our country and league-specific accounts. So if you go follow those, you will be very well updated with what's going on in the world of football and especially European football, the top leagues, especially with the transfer window coming up. Uh, it is in January, or rather, is already... You know, still coming up by the time this episode goes out. Um, is I would highly recommend you follow to be posted on all the rumors and links and moves uh, that are going on. 
So you can find all of that uh, on Twitter or if you just go to the description or show notes, uh, depending on where you're listening to this episode, um, you can find that over there as well. If your app does allow it, uh, please do rate the podcast as well because that helps us. And of course, uh, we'd always appreciate it if you can share it on social media too. But in any case, thank you very much for listening. Thanks to you, Alex and Varun. Take care. Have a good new year because we will see you in January next. Bye-bye.